Welcome to the Rural Woman Podcast, a platform for women in agriculture, ranching, homesteading, and more to share their stories. I'm your host, Caitlin Dubin. Hey everyone, thank you so much for tuning in to this week's episode of the Rural Woman Podcast. Today, you'll meet Kim Goodling. Kim is a shepherd to a flock of Gotland sheep on a hillside farm in Vermont. Kim and her husband began homesteading many years ago as a way to provide healthy food for their family, live a self-sufficient lifestyle, and to participate in Vermont's rich agricultural heritage. I am so excited for you guys to get to meet Kim and learn all about these beautiful, amazing Gotland sheep. But before we get to today's episode, let's go over the review of the week. This week's review comes from A. Griffey via Apple Podcasts. This five-star rating and review says, great show. Thank you, Caitlin, for creating a place for all of us farm gals to share our story. I am simply amazed at how different our operations and lives look, and yet we are still so similar. Thank you for allowing us to see those similarities and share in each other's trials and triumphs. Keep up the great work. Thank you so much for your great rating and review on Apple Podcasts. And if you guys have been enjoying the show, like I say always, make sure you leave a rating and review wherever you listen and you could hear your kind words on an upcoming episode of the Rural Woman Podcast. And guys, make sure you stay tuned to the end of today's episode with Kim as I have a special announcement about the rally campaign. So stay tuned. And without further ado, let's get to Kim's episode. Hi, Kim. How are you? I'm good. Good. Thank you so much for joining me on the Rural Woman podcast today. Oh, you're welcome. I'm glad to be here. I'm excited to get to know you a little bit better and for our listeners to get to know you better. So tell us a little bit about who you are and where you're from. Well, I'm Kim Goodling and I'm a shepherd to a flock of Gotland sheep and our farm is in central Vermont and we started out as a homestead and raised three children and along the way we decided that we had actually moved from being a homestead to a full-fledged farm. (laughs) That is a lot of work and a big transition. So how did you get started in agriculture? Were you born and raised into it or did you and your husband just start farming? Well, it's interesting. When I was a little girl, my family owned some property in the southwestern corner of Virginia. And so during these very young, very impressionable years of my life, we lived on this property and it was in the middle of nowhere. We had horses and my mom had a very large garden and grew a lot of our own food and did canning and, you know, freezing vegetables and that kind of thing. And then a neighbor had his cows on our property. And as a little girl, I was the youngest of five children. So I got to do a lot of playing while my older siblings worked. So they tell me anyway. (laughs) 
(laughs) And I just developed this real love for that lifestyle. And then my family moved when I was about nine years old, which again is a very impressionable age. And I remember saying to myself, I will go back. I will go back. And I don't think I necessarily meant to that piece of property, but I meant I will go back to that kind of life. And so when I graduated from college, I realized that, wow, this is my time to choose where I live, you know, (laughs) and I ended up taking a teaching job in the mountains of Virginia. And, you know, that sort of got me back to that rural lifestyle that I loved so much as a child. And then I ended up getting married, ended up living outside of Washington, D.C. And as soon as my husband indicated that he was not happy with his job in that area, I said, woohoo! <laughs> and I seized to the moment and I said, um, wow, then let's move. And so he and I kind of set out on this quest to find a place where we thought we could live that would be in a rural setting where the cost of living wasn't so high that if we chose to have kids and chose for me to stay home with them, that it would be possible. So that's kind of a roundabout way how we came to Vermont and where we are right now. Um, It truly was a desire to get back to that lifestyle. And then once we had children, just really wanting them to be a part of a self-sufficient life, you know, where you grew most of your own food and you knew where your food came from. And then I I ended up homeschooling them. And so once we started homeschooling, that's when it really transformed to more of a working farm. And at that point, we were then creating products that we were selling, you know, and that to me was kind of our turning point. We were no longer just providing for our own family, but we were now providing products for other people as well. That's a very rewarding part, I think, about the whole farming process. (laughs) If you would agree that you can actually grow something or make something with your own hands, and then be able to provide that for another person, I think that's a really special, I think that's a thing about farming. Oh, definitely. Yeah, it really is. And for us, you know, back to our children, the other really neat thing was I felt our children had a very unique childhood. I mean, my one of my daughters and I were just talking about it yesterday, and, you know, they were exposed to so much at a young age, so many valuable lessons that you learn when you raise an animal, when you help bring it into the world. And you raise it through its entire life cycle. You know, there's a lot of lessons that are wrapped up in that. And it was just a great experience for our family and for our children. I totally agree. And not coming from an agriculture background and seeing kids being raised this way now, I'm very jealous of their upbringing. Mm -hmm. I had a good one, but having these life lessons learned at such an early age, I think is so valuable. Because now, for me, as a 30 year old woman, or almost 30, I shouldn't 
age myself that much, but (laughs) I'm learning these now. I feel like if I would have learned them at an earlier age, maybe they would be easier now for me. I'm not sure, but it's, it's Mm -hmm. yeah, definitely like what you said, the valuable lessons at such an early age, I think gives them a very big advantage throughout their life. So very good. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So the farm that you were on now was it already established when you moved there or did you buy a piece of land and build from there in Vermont? Tell us your farm story. Yeah, our farm story is really interesting. Grandview Farm was established in the very early 1800s and the farmhouse is really two houses built side by side and the original house was built in the late 1700s and they added on in the mid 1800s And through the years, their main products were dairy and maple syrup. And those were the main products on the farm. And it sold out of that original family. I believe it was in the 1960s. And from the 1960s until we purchased the property, it was not farmed. It was mostly used as a vacation home. And so the barn filled up with all kinds of junk and the fields were kind of let go and the woods were creeping in. And so for, I would say, 75 years, there were no animals here. And so when our family bought the property, not only were we bringing children, which hadn't been here in a long time, but we were also bringing animals to the property. And what's so neat about this farm is the original family whose great-grandparents built the house, they still live just a couple miles away. And the first winter that we were in this house, we invited that family to come for dinner and to give us a tour of the farm. And it was so amazing to have these people who, well, now they're in their late 80s and 90s, you know, walk through the house and tell story after story about the property. And the other day, the oldest brother who's Oh, I don't know, he's probably 92 years old. He stops me on the road the other day and just chatted a little bit. And then he said, you're doing real good. And I said, pardon me? He said, the farm looks really good. And then he rolled up his window and drove away. And that just gave me goosebumps. You know, I felt so good to hear him say that, that, you know, he knew that this property was without animals for a long time. And, you know, I felt so great that he's approving of what we had done, you know, and he could see that we were trying to bring agriculture back to this land and this property and reclaim the fields and reclaim the sugar trees and you know that was a great feeling to have him say that to me that is the biggest compliment and that also gave me goosebumps and made me a little misty like that is such a big compliment coming from a man whose family started this area and you know for it to be passed on to a new family and to continue the legacy of this land it's that is a big compliment to you and your family so so nice Mm -hmm. hey all we'll get right back to our episode after a word from our sponsor 
Nestled in the tree-filled mountains by Kootenai Lake in Nelson, British Columbia, K. Alskin Naturals was founded in 2013 by owner Leah. K. Alskin Naturals is known for their award-winning natural deodorant that I have personally been using since early 2017, and I can tell you from personal experience, it passes the farming test. You know what I'm talking about. I feel good knowing that the deodorant that I'm using is free from harsh chemicals and scents. All of their products are produced by hand from the very first measure to the very last label. Each recipe was worked, researched, perfected, and tested on family and friends who all agree that there's something unique to be offered in the effective products that Leah is making. Listeners of the Rural Woman podcast can save 10% off their order with promo code WILDROSE10. So head on over to klskindeodorant.com to choose from their wide selection of clean scented natural deodorants, plus other natural skincare products such as fresh aloe skin cream, foot butters, and more. And now back to our episode. So what led you in to wanting to be a sheep farmer? Well, that's a real good question. I'm not sure I have an exact answer. I remember one night when I was in my midlife (laughs) and I remember saying to my husband, when I get to the end of my life, I don't want to have regrets. I don't want to say what if. You know, I want to feel like I literally that I had done everything I wanted to do and I don't want to get there at the end and, you know, feel sad that my time on this earth is over, but there's so much I wish I had done. And he sat and looked at me and he said, well, what do you want to do? I said, let's get sheep. And honestly, I have no idea where that came from. It just came out. (laughs) And he's like, okay, that sounds awesome. Let's do it, you know. So that really was our start. And we spent, I would say, a year and a half really researching before we ever purchased sheep. And we went to every sheep and wool festival. I sat through every single course and class and what that was out there just to learn as much as we could. And finally, I had... He was the sheep specialist for our state extension services, and he was on our property, and he looked at me and said, Kim, would you quit asking me questions and just go get your sheep? (laughs) (laughs) And I'm like, oh, do you think I'm ready? He's like, yes, just go do it. (laughs) And I thought, okay, we'll do it. So, you know, that was it. I was not a knitter. I didn't know anything about wool. I had never owned sheep. I'd hardly seen sheep. So it wasn't like I had this lifetime love of little lambs or anything, you know. You just went ahead and did it. I love it. Well, you went ahead and did it after many, many hours and hours of research. I can honestly relate to that a lot because my husband is very much the same way. He will research it to the nth degree and he'll talk people's (laughs) ears off for hours and hours before he makes a decision. So I love that about you. I can see that I'm very much in that. So So you ended up with a kind of a unique brand of sheep. You went with Gotland breed of sheep. So tell us more about the unique characteristics and kind of why you chose that breed of sheep. Yeah. Well, actually, we began with Romney sheep. 
and we owned Romney sheep for about 10 years. And then I had another midlife crisis. (laughs) And that was when all my children grew up and left home. And I was sort of having a pity party, as my children say, and, you know, thinking, you know, I was a homeschool mom, I was used to being very busy all day, and really serving and providing for my family and my kids. And I knew that I had this time approaching where the house was going to be empty. And that really scared me and was a little bit depressing. And I thought, I need something new in my life. I need a new focus. I need something to give me new energy and to distract me from being lonely. And that's when we decided to switch breeds. So a friend had given me a book called Pure Wool, written by Sue Blacker, who owns a Gotland sheep farm in England. And she also has a mill and she specializes in pure breed wool yarn. And on her chapter about Gotland sheep, she would have a little description of the breed, and then she would have a knitting pattern to go with that breed. And when I read the description of the sheep, I said to my husband, I want these. And I really didn't know very much about them. I didn't know that... It was very difficult to get them in the U.S., especially where I live. But again, that set me out on a new research conquest. But the things in the book that I read that really attracted me to the breed are things like they are a very calm breed. They seek out people. They want attention from their shepherd. They are a small breed, and the Romneys are quite large, and I knew that as we get older and as our children leave home and we don't have as many hands to help us, it would be nice to have a smaller breed. And then I was just mesmerized by their wool. You know, Gotlands do not have a crimp in their wool. They have curl, and they're known for their long silver curls. And the curls have a lot of luster to them. And they're just very striking and stunning when you look at them. They're very different, I think, from other sheep. I also liked that they have clean face and clean legs, and they don't grow a lot of belly wool, which is very different from the Romney sheep. My Romney sheep were very heavy wooled. You know, they would grow long wool all the way down. And, you know, when you live in Vermont and you've got snow all winter and then a couple months of mud it was hard to deal with that long wool sometimes so those were the main things that I really liked about the breed also the book talked about how they have really strong mothering instincts and tend to lamb on their own and be very self-sufficient and hardy and all of those are qualities that any animal that lives on my farm needs to have because we got cold winters in Vermont. Yes, absolutely. And for the listeners who haven't seen a Gotland sheep, they're beautiful. When you are sending me pictures, they are just absolutely stunning. And like you said, the curl in their wool is very cool and not like any other sheep that I've seen close up in person. So they're very neat. Yeah. 
Yeah. Well, the first summer that we had Gotland sheep, we had this opportunity to go to Gotland, Sweden. And it was kind of a side trip to visiting one of our daughters who was studying in Germany at the time. And, you know, I thought going to Sweden, I thought, oh, our sheep look so nice. You know, they really look nice. And then I got to Sweden on Gotland and I'm like, oh my goodness, these are amazing over here. (laughs) Because the way the breed came to the U.S. is you're not allowed to import live sheep, but you can import semen. So basically you have to build the breed in the United States. So years ago, about 12 years ago, a group of breeders went in together and brought semen into the U.S. and you do artificial insemination and they selected 10 different breeds that they would approve as what called foundation use. And so they would artificially inseminate a foundation ewe and her offspring would be 50% Gotland and 50% whatever her breed was. And then you take that 50% offspring and you artificially inseminate that and the offspring is now 75%. So you can see it takes many years to slowly build the breed and it takes a lot of careful selection, you know, as you're building this breed to make sure that you are breeding for the characteristics that are true to the Gotland breed. So when we entered into it, we were very fortunate in that of breeders at that time had already reached about 96%. So we started out with some very high percentage Gotland sheep. And so we didn't have to do that hard work that all these other breeders had done before. That is a lot of work to get a sheep here in the U.S. That is very cool. Yeah. So what are some of the products that you're able to produce from your sheep obviously they create wool Um, do you do your own shearing for the sheep or is there a special way to shear these sheep because of their wool being curly instead of like a regular sheep (laughs) right well the shearing process is the same what is unique about this breed especially if you live in a cold climate is that they do need to be shorn twice a year and in the winter time, if you live in a climate as cold as we are, they will not grow their curls in the winter. Instead, they grow a fuzzy undergrowth that is white. And so when we have them shorn in late fall, before the weather gets really cold, they might grow anywhere from one to two inches of gray curl. And then underneath that grows this fuzzy undercoat that keeps them warm through the winter. And then the lambs are also unique in that when they're born, most of them are all black. And it's not until they are maybe well, two months of age, maybe some a little bit before that, they begin to grow their gray curls underneath their black lamb fleece. So they're really quite interesting in how they produce their wool. In Sweden, they're mainly used for a pelt sheep. Their um, meat is sold throughout Europe, and then they 
take the pets and they make amazing things with these pelts. Some of them are just sold as a pelt rug and then others are being turned into amazing pieces of clothing or they will even cover chairs and stools with the pelts. From our farm, we're mostly selling the curls, the unwashed curls to fiber artists. And I also have a yarn produced with the wool. The mills in the U.S. are finding it challenging to spin the Gotland wool because it has a lot of luster. And because it doesn't have crimp, it's very difficult to get it to hold in the drum car through the spinning process. And it just wants to fall out of the carding machine. So our mill is doing a blend for us with a little bit of silk, which gives it enough grab. So it will grab onto their carding machines and they can then consistently spin a nice yarn for us. So mostly we are producing yarn. Occasionally I will have a pelt and... You know, I'm always selling raw fleeces to different artists that want them. For sure. And you mentioned in Europe that they're obviously selling these sheep for meat. Do you use your sheep as well for meat? We don't really have a meat business going with our lamb, but... On occasion, if we have ram lamb that doesn't sell, then we will put it in the freezer for our own use. And the Gotland breeders that we met in Sweden, the first time we went there, I had never eaten lamb. And they kept telling me, it is the best lamb you will ever have. And I remember eating lamb as a really young child and not liking it and thinking it had a very strong flavor to it, like a gaminess to it. Well, the first time I put a ram lamb in the freezer and we ate the meat, I was astounded. It was by far the best meat I'd ever eaten. It was amazing. It didn't have that strong flavor that I remembered as a child and it was super tender. And, you know, that's exactly what the Swedish shepherds had told us that it would taste like. So we do have some lamb in our freezer, but it's not something that we have enough of that we sell. Very interesting. I like, I always find it interesting that different breeds of animals have such different flavors from one another. Like you obviously said that when you were a kid, you felt it tasted very gamey. And now this breed of lamb is nothing like you had tasted before. That's very cool. Yeah. Have you been loving the Rural Woman podcast? Are you wondering how you can support the show? Well, friend, I'm happy to announce that I've recently joined Patreon. What is Patreon? Well, it's a membership-based platform that provides a simple way for you to contribute to the Rural Woman podcast every month and get exclusive rewards in return. Memberships start as low as $2 a month. Seriously, that's less than your grande, skinny, extra hot caramel macchiato with whip. Wondering what the rewards are? Well, they include promo codes for Shop Wild Rose Farmer, draws for the Rural Woman Podcast merchandise, shoutouts on the show, and more. Your financial support of the Rural Woman Podcast will help make it possible for the stories of women in agriculture to continue to be shared. So head on over to wildrosefarmer.com to find out more information about how you can become a patron 
through Patreon. So, Kim, tell us more about the different opportunities that you offer from Grandview Farms. Right. So from our farm, I've always considered our farm as sort of like this educational center. And it started with our homeschooling. And we just sort of began branching out through the years. We've had all kinds of camps and classes and workshops on the farm. Now that I'm here mostly by myself, I will teach private felting classes, individuals, and we also offer a farm stay. And we are renting the older farmhouse that's attached to the more modern house, should I say. So we're renting out the original farmhouse that was built in the 1700s. And we have farm stay guests come from all over the world. And we always welcome our guests to help with chores and tag along if they want to. And some people will book their stay with us at particular times of the year because they want to be involved in certain farm activities. And then the other thing that I've started doing in the past year is I'm offering online courses to small farms. And mostly that came about because I had so many people that were coming to me asking questions about farm business and how we handled marketing and asking questions about you know, how they should structure their farm business and, you know, that kind of thing. And so about a year ago, started working on this project to develop some courses for farmers. And that's just recently been launched this past fall. And then I've created an online community for mentoring other people who own sheep and who are shepherds. a place where they can connect with other shepherds and ask questions and learn and grow and be encouraged. So that new piece to what we're doing on our farm. The other thing that we do on our farm is we have brought back maple sugaring here. And so we have a small sugaring operation. And sometimes our guests want to come and help with that, which they can. And so that's a lot of fun as well. That's very cool. And such diverse opportunities coming off of your farm. Did you Mm -hmm. ever imagine this is what it would look like when moved to Vermont? I think so, to some degree. I mean, when we first moved to Vermont, I had this idyllic picture in my mind of what it was like to live in New England. And It was interesting when my husband and I came to Vermont sort of on a job search, you know, to try and find some jobs up here. We purchased a lamp while we were here. And the reason we got the lamp is on it was a painting of this quaint New England village with all of these activities going on. There were children ice skating. There were children who were sledding. The White Steeple Church, you know, it was a typical small town New England scene. And I thought, I just want to step right at painting. That's where I want to be. That's the life I want. And I really think we've lived that life here. It's been 
really a great experience for us and our family and we just feel really blessed that we've been able to you know realize that dream that we had as young adults I'm not sure I ever would have imagined that we were operating a farm in the manner that we are now but I guess it would not have surprised me if someone had told me that's where I would end up that's awesome. I love it. it. From what you've been saying and from what I've seen online, it literally looks exactly like the painting that you're describing here. So that's mm-hmm. great. So my last question for you, Kim, is my favorite question to ask. What is the most rewarding part about being a farmer for you? Well, I think I would have to change your question and say what's the most rewarding part of being a shepherd? And my answer would be, Well, it's almost twofold, but first, the most rewarding thing is lambing season. You know, lambing season is one of those amazing times of the year where you can be so disheartened that you are brought to your knees and you realize how fragile life is, and then within the next hour, you can be, you know, on the opposite end of the spectrum, just feeling so blessed and so happy. And you're seeing the the miracle of life, you know, and you just experience both ends of that during lambing season. And I always come out of lambing being a little bit humbled realizing that I'm really not in control as much as I think I'm and just having this renewed outlook on life and appreciation and understanding of how fragile life really is and how miraculous birth really is. So I would say that's probably the most rewarding piece of it. And the other piece that I find very rewarding is that shepherds as a whole are very nurturing people. And we have been so blessed by so many other shepherds through the years. You know, it's amazing how willing other shepherds are to come along beside you and to help you as you are on your own shepherding journey. That's beautiful. Both things are absolutely incredible. And I am so happy that you were able to come on the podcast today and share your story about Grandview Farms and the unique Gotland breed sheep. For our listeners who would like to stay in contact with you after this episode, where can they find you online? Well, our farm has a website. It's grandviewfarmvt.com. You can also find me on Instagram at VT Grandview Farm, and we also have a Facebook page. That's great. And I will be sure to link all of those in our show notes so our listeners can find you and connect with you after the show. That sounds awesome. Thank you so much, Kim, for sharing your story today on the Rural Woman Podcast. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. We live on big spreads and tiny homesteads, farms, ranches, and everywhere in between. Neighbors separated by barbed wire fences and gravel roads, 
divided by section lines and field boundaries. We are wives and mothers, husbands and fathers, producers and consumers, held together by the threads of history and love. Here in these vast, wide open places, we answer the call of caregivers to the land, the animals, and our families with open hearts and willing hands. The miles of gravel and pavement between our homes can make the isolation of rural life feel insurmountable. Sometimes we struggle to reach out and ask for help, even though we never pause when one of our own needs our support. We come together in times of crisis and in times of joy. We celebrate together when the markets are up and hold each other together when the world falls apart. We support each other's families from the sidelines and in the trenches. We show up for each other, operating equipment, working cattle, cooking meals, and offering a shoulder to cry on when there's nothing else we can do. We may get knocked down, but together we get back up and carry on. We are fighters who never back down from a challenge or allow obstacles to stop us in our tracks. When the going gets tough, we rally. We rise from the ashes of heartbreak because this life is in our blood and it is part of our soul. Though we are proud of our independence and our strength, we know that together we can overcome challenges we can't handle alone. Introducing Rally, a charitable campaign aiming to bring agriculture together. The agricultural industry is like no other. Farmers and ranchers are truly the eternal optimists. We work against the clock and the elements on a daily basis. We stand alone in our fields and come together in need. The Rally campaign was built for this purpose, to stand together and to support one another. We are the faces of agriculture, no matter the size of our operations. We stand united whether we're conventional or organic, grass or grain finished, big egg or small farm. We're all in this together. The Rally Campaign is a fundraising effort to provide funds for selected agricultural organizations. From now until the end of March 2020, funds raised through the Rally Campaign will be donated to the Do More Agricultural Foundation, who is a not-for-profit organization focused on mental health in agriculture across Canada, and the Agri-Ability Project, whose mission is to enhance the quality of life for farmers, ranchers, and other agricultural workers with disabilities so they, their families, and their communities can continue to succeed in rural America. Purchase your Rally Campaign t-shirt over at Shop Wildrose Farmer, with $4 of the proceeds being equally split between these two worthy organizations. For more information about the Rally Campaign, head on over to wildrosefarmer.com rally. Thanks for listening to the Rural Woman Podcast. For show notes, head on over to wildrosefarmer.com. You can stay connected with me on Instagram at wildrosefarmer. If you love the show, make sure to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Plus, share it with a friend. We'll see you next time.